0: So Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Gospel of Mark chapter 2, which we started last last week. Hopefully we'll keep everything off the floor today. Thanks. I appreciate the guys that scrambled and got everything up here. Nothing was my notes even stayed in order last week, which was really great. <clears throat> Thank you Lord for that. Okay, the Gospel of Mark, part six. I envision this as a much quicker um, process, but just different things happen and so uh we're at part six already and we're not even through ch- uh chapter two. But that's okay. Um yeah, it's not a race. I, I realize that, but uh so in Mark two, we're gonna start in verse number thirteen. So let's start reading there. Uh we we've uh we started this um point in in last week's outline, so I just copied and pasted it into here as we looked at the call of Matthew. Uh, Or in this case, as Mark um, gives him the name Levi. Uh, But in Mark, starting in uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 13, we see this command to follow me. We saw this earlier in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus called the four fishermen. And now he comes to Levi and calls him. It says, Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, And he taught them. And we talked about Jesus' ministry was a ministry of teaching. He did healings and uh, other signs to authenticate his ministry. But his primary ministry, his purpose was to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And so in verse 14, it says, as he passed by. So on his way out to teach by the sea, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me So he arose and followed him. Uh, I forgot to open in prayer, so let's do that right now. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much uh, for your word, and I thank you for the power of the word and for uh, this portrait of Christ that Mark has painted for us. Help us to continue to learn and grow, uh, learning more about our Lord and even more about ourselves as we see our hearts reflected in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, Jesus comes by. The, this tax office, as Mark labels it, and calls uh, this man named Levi to follow him. And we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. The call to follow me was a call of discipleship. It wasn't necessarily a call of salvation. It wasn't a call to believe in me. It was a call to follow me. So um, uh, Levi had at some point, I believe, put his faith in Christ and now Christ was calling him into a deeper relationship, a, a relationship of following, uh, of discipleship. Uh, Levi is also called Matthew in other places. Um, both are Jewish names. Uh, it could have been that Levi was his given name. Um, some writers think that, that he was of the tribe of Levi. And so um, it, what he was what the writer is referring to is a Levite. But in any case, um, we know he was uh, Levi, a Matthew. Uh, Also named in other gospels, Um, it's also possible. um, Just as you know, it's it's not a doctrinal thing. It's just kind of an interesting thing. There's another disciple whose father is named Alpheus. So there's a some believe that um, uh, Matthew was the brother of James, who we call James the Less. So you have James and John, the the fishermen. And then there was another disciple named James, and he's often referred to as James the Less, and his father is also Alphaeus. We'll we'll see that in Mark 3, when we have the whole list of all 12 disciples. We have um, Matthew's listed, Thomas, and then James, the son of Alphaeus. So it's possible that it's the same Alphaeus. Could it have been two different Alphaeus, two different fathers, two different families, of course? But uh, I think it's interesting to kind of point those things out. Now, it does say... Uh, that Matthew or that Levi uh, was sitting at a tax office. So I want to take a moment and just talk about what it meant to be a tax collector and how that was viewed um, in the culture in which uh, this is taking place. So uh, Levi had his tax booth there in Capernaum. Remember, that's the city that we're in. Capernaum is where Jesus set up much of his ministry. It was kind of a headquarters. He used Peter's home. We saw that uh, last week with the healing of the paralytic who was let down through the roof. Uh, Happened in Capernaum. We believe that happened in Peter's home because it's referenced in chapter one where his mother-in-law is healed. Uh, But there's Capernaum, and Capernaum was located geographically along a main thoroughfare that was a uh, boundary, if you will, a border of uh, the Tetrarch Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is a son of Herod the Great, and the kingdom of Herod the Great was divided among his sons Philip to the north and Antipas to, this, to the south of Philip's territory. So you have Philip's territory above, then Antipas, and then over to the east you have the Decapolis, a group of ten cities. So when travelers would come from Philip's kingdom in the north or the Decapolis, over in the east, and they would come west into um, this area of Capernaum, there would, be, there would be a tax booth there, and it was really a, a tax of customs. So uh, Levi had his tax booth there as a customs tax enterprise. So as people would travel through, they would have to pay customs on the things that they were carrying, and that's part of what Levi's um, taxing job was. And so what would happen is these, these tetrarchs, these kings, if you will, uh, here at Antipas in this case, they would, they would have sold tax collection franchises to the highest bidder. So they had these stations where they would collect taxes, and the tetrarch would sell that as a franchise to the highest bidder, and that person would buy it, and their job was to collect taxes uh, for Rome, they had to meet a quota of tax money for Rome, and then they could keep whatever else they collected for themselves. Uh, so these franchise franchisees would then hire tax collectors to sit in the booths and do the actual tax collecting. And Levi was one such employee. So he he had this really great um, financially secure job. He he was very wealthy. But he would have been completely despised by his fellow Jews. I want to just quickly read a little bit about um, tax collectors out of um, some different uh, readings that I found. Uh, it says, it is not surprising that Jesus encounters tax collectors in Capernaum, a border town to, to the neighboring um, areas, which I've already described. Uh, the Mishnah, which is the rabbinical writings of of the Jewish rabbis and uh, commentaries on the, the Old Testament as well as historical truth. They describe tax collectors making daily rounds, exacting payment of men with or without their consent, or as here, as we see described here in Mark, uh, sitting at tax stands with account books open and pen in hand. Travelers arriving in Capernaum from the territory of Herod Philip and the Decapolis to the east uh, would be taxed by agents such as Levi, who were in the service of Herod Antipas. Uh, The Roman tax system was complex and varied, even in a small country like Palestine or Israel. Uh, Land and poll taxes were collected directly by the Romans, but taxes on transported goods were contracted out to local collectors, most of whom were ethnic Jews, but probably probably not observant Jews, since Torah conscious—the Torah is the the first five books of the Old Testament— Uh, Torah conscious Jews could not be expected to transact business with Gentiles. Uh, Levi was one of these middlemen who made bids in advance to collect taxes in a given area. His own profit came from what he could take from his constituents and a portion of his receipts stayed in his own pockets. The Roman system of taxation depended on graft and greed and it attracted enterprising individuals who were not adverse to such means. So it goes on to talk about and, and maybe you've heard of um, more modern day, um, it, it talks about how how the the people thought of, of what they thought of tax collectors, and so to kind of put it in our own context, what um, he, they give they compare them to like during the the Nazi regime uh, when when Adolf Hitler and the Nazis were were taking over Germany, especially at first as their party was growing, there were some that were um, against that, and then there were some that were were for it, and they would act as though they were against it as moles, as spies for uh, the Nazis, and they would pretend like they were against it to, they were basically informants. So if you can think about how you would feel about an informant um, in that kind of a regime, that's kind of an an equal to how the Jews viewed the tax collectors. They were completely despised. Uh, they uh, They were disqualified as a judge or a witness in court. They were expelled from the synagogue, a cause of disgrace to the family. A, the touch of a tax collector rendered a house unclean. That's how, how uh, despised they were. Jews were forbidden to receive money and even alms from tax collectors. Uh, they believed that that collection was robbery. Uh, Jewish contempt of tax collectors is epitomized in the ruling that Jews could lie to tax collectors with impunity. So it was okay to lie, to lie to these guys. That's how much they were despised. Yet, this is who Jesus calls to be his disciple. Just think of the unorthodox calling of Levi. It was one thing to call the fishermen, uh, but they were not despised necessarily like the tax collector was. And yet Jesus calls him. Levi, at some point, came to believe in Jesus. Now he was ready to be his disciple. Can Jesus call anyone to be his disciple? Does he call anyone? Um, he left behind a lucrative career. He left behind the financial security that that tax office afforded him. He did that to pursue the Lord Jesus and the eternal rewards. <clears throat> As First Peter, uh, Peter in 1 Peter 1:4 says, to an inheritance incorruptible, to an undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. This is what uh, Matthew chose over his lucrative yet dishonest tax collecting career. As we move on into verse 15. <clears throat> Uh, we see that Jesus, now, now that he's called Matthew, or Levi, uh, he ends up at, at his home. And now it happened as he, Jesus, was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. So Jesus heads over to Levi's home for a feast. Um, We'll see this again when we get to, and I don't, I don't remember if Mark has the count of Zacchaeus, but uh, the same, same idea, this tax collector turned believer, and he goes to the home for a feast. Um, not only Jesus and his disciples, including now Levi as one of them, but also many of Levi's friends and companions, his former associates. So Levi is one of those that's calling everyone together, come and meet this Jesus of Nazareth. This rabbi who actually called me out of the the tax booth and invited me to follow him. And if you think about it, these were probably the only individuals that would have entered Levi's home. If the touch of a tax collector rendered a home unclean, what did most people think of the home of a tax collector uh, where he lived daily? Uh, So tax collectors likely the only ones that would come, and so they do. And so uh, they come, and they're drawn to Jesus and his teaching. We're going to see this repeated throughout the Gospels, that these tax collectors and sinners were, were drawn to Jesus. Uh, many people were drawn to Christ because um, they found out that he could, he could provide a, a lot of food out of just a very little bit of food, right? Thousands and thousands of people. Uh, Many people were drawn to him for for the healing, to see the demons cast out. But these tax collectors, they weren't looking for a free meal. They were all wealthy people. Um, It doesn't indicate in the text that they were looking for um, healing. It doesn't indicate that they were looking for a demon to be cast out. They were drawn to Christ for something different. They simply wanted to be around this strange rabbi from Nazareth. Of all the rabbis they'd ever seen, this is the only one that seemed to care. This is the only one that uh, was willing to sit down and eat with them. This man from an outcast town seemed to understand their outcast life. I think that they were drawn to him, at least one reason, Because Jesus identified with them. He understood what it meant to be outcast. Remember, one of the disciples said when he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, what was his response? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, that was the common idea. Like, that was just, that was like a a back alley town. It, It had no prestige. It had no honor. It had a horrible reputation. Just like the tax collectors did. And so I think there was that connection there. Um, in Luke 15, 1 it, it tells us again that all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to what? Hear him. They wanted more of what he had to say. They weren't as much interested in what he was doing. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Um, later in Luke 13, it says... Uh, this is Jesus speaking, and says they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, and this is the key, there are last who will be first and there are first who will be last. And I think the picture of these tax collectors and sinners sitting down to eat with Christ is a picture of this. Of course, this is a prophecy for the future, yet we're seeing uh, shadows of it happening even during uh, Jesus' ministry. So he's sitting there, Uh, notice there's two groups of people at the table. There's Jesus and his disciples, um, and then there's the tax collectors and sinners. And you see that because uh, it says, many tax collectors and sinners also sat together, so that's one group, with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. There were many, describes the disciples. So this is quite a feast. This is a large gathering of people. Food is being served. Uh, they're they're enjoying the drink there. They're enjoying the fellowship. They're talking. They're fellowshipping over their food. Um, this is actually the first time that Mark makes a direct reference to Jesus' disciples as a group when he says there were many. But as you think about this big table and all these people feasting around it, uh, in the Jewish culture... To dine at someone's home at their table was highly symbolic. To eat at someone's table was an expression of trust and fellowship. Uh, It was to break bread with someone you considered respectable and trustworthy. And that helps us understand what happened next as we go into verses 16 and 17. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners... They said to his disciples, they didn't talk to him about it, but maybe he was busy and they pulled the disciples aside. How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I do not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now Mark does not indicate that if this happened at Levi's home or not. We tend to think of it that way because it it kind of he doesn't give a gap, it just goes from fifteen the feast to sixteen. But apparently they had walked by, they had seen this happening somehow and and questioned it. So the religious leaders they'd been hearing they'd heard Jesus teach already. They Remember, he was in the synagogue back in chapter one, and then he made a circuit preaching in all the synagogues of Galilee. Now he's come back into Capernaum. So they've heard him teach. They have seen him perform miracles, like casting out demons and healing. That was one thing. But now he's doing something completely uncharacteristic for Jewish rabbis. He's sitting at a table and eating with tax collectors. This, they, they were just totally scandalized by Jesus' choice here. Um, and Jesus gives them this, this response. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So Jesus gives them this well-known proverb. They would have known this. This was a, a, a saying, and it's just a common sense thing, but it was kind of a proverb. Those who are well have no need, need of a physician, but those who are sick. They would have understood that and they would have agreed with it. But then Jesus um, takes that parable, or I'm sorry, that proverb, and he adds to it. He rephrases his purpose statement. He rephrases his mission statement. He says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So those who are well and the righteous, that's the connection there. And those who are sick and the sinners, he's, he's helping them, trying to help them and teach them, see these two groups. And he's trying to get at a deeper meaning here. Apart from Christ, everyone is sick and a sinner. We are only made judicially righteous by placing our faith in Christ. And that's what he is trying to get at. He doesn't always say it right out, right? Jesus often uses, and in fact, the Gospels tell us every teaching he did was was parabolic. It was always in parables. Um, it says, and I don't have the reference, but it says there was nothing he taught that was not a parable. Everything was kind of, uh, you know, shadowed if you will it was so it was sayings and things that were designed to make people think and that's exactly what he's trying to get at with these scribes and pharisees he's saying he's defending his decision to sit at table with the tax collectors and sinners why because he's not sitting with the pharisees because they're well and they're righteous no he's doing what he's doing because it's the tax collectors and sinners that knew that recognized their need for Christ. They recognized that they were sick. They recognized that they needed a physician. The tax collectors and sinners recognized that they were sinners. The Pharisees were no better off spiritually, but they didn't know it. Spiritual blindness is one of the worst blindnesses you know, someone that's physically blind, do they know they're physically blind? Yeah, they know it, right? And so it's, it's amazing um, what blind people, how they compensate for their life. And some of their other senses are heightened. And, and they're, they can pick up things in a room that sighted people can't just because their, their other senses are so in tune with what's going on. But you don't have to try to convince them that they're blind. They, they know that. They're fully aware, Obviously. But a spiritually blind person, it's, it's a double blindness. Because not only are they spiritually blind, but they think that they can see. They don't realize that they've, that they've become spiritually blinded. They don't know it. And so they're living their lives fully unaware of their spiritual blindness. And that's exactly uh, what these Pharisees' condition was. That's their heart condition. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across to them. And I really believe, even though Jesus rebukes, even though he calls them out, I think it's because he knew that's the only thing that was going to get through to their heart, was bluntness. He didn't do that with everyone, but with those men, he did. And I really think, as we conclude, uh, that this is a reiteration of the theme verse of, of the book of Mark in Jesus' purpose statement, Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And that's what he, he did do, didn't he? He accomplished a mission. So uh, we'll conclude with that. We'll pick up right here uh, where we left off, Lord willing, next week. Father, thank you, Lord, so much for uh, today. I thank you for your showing yourself faithful, for a good service this morning. And now, Lord, as we've spent a few moments uh, looking once again in the Gospel of Mark, Help us to consider our own spiritual blindness, Lord, and, and sometimes even as Christians, uh, we can have uh, pockets of resistance in our lives and in our hearts where uh, we have our own type of spiritual blindness. We don't even realize this. Lord, would you please expose that to us as we go out into uh, this week, and we just give you the praise and glory for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And nobody had to drop their keys, so it's good. Thanks for being here.